Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If someone were to ask you to summarize the gospel for them or to state the core teaching of the Christian faith, what verse would you point to? Well, there are many people that would point to John 3.16 as a sentence that summarizes the Christian faith, that summarizes the gospel. Now, that is a glorious passage of Scripture, but it does not, standing alone, summarize adequately the gospel or the Christian faith. But it's a very important verse, and it's one that we love. So let's look at it together, and let's look at it in its context. Here's the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me read that to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I think captures it very well. For God loved the world in this way, or in this manner. He gave his one and only Son, that is his unique Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I said that's a great and glorious passage of Scripture, but it doesn't contain the whole gospel. And the reason I say that is because it was spoken in the midst of a conversation with Nicodemus by our Lord Jesus himself. And Jesus prefaced this statement with a very, very important statement. So let's go to the context. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But he goes on. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So looking at the the whole section, the whole context in which Jesus utters this statement, we have a much better idea of what the gospel is about. Notice that Jesus grounds his statement in an incident that occurred in the history of Israel. He refers to Numbers chapter 21. Let me read that passage. Numbers 21, beginning verse 5. The people spoke against Moses and against God. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the desert? There is no food and no water and our hearts detest this miserable food. And Yahweh sent among the people poisonous snakes. They bit the people, and many people from Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we've spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh and let him remove the snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And Yahweh said to Moses, Make for yourselves a snake and place it on a pole. When anyone is bitten and looks at it, place it, I'm sorry, 
When anyone is bitten and looks at it, that person will live. So Moses made a snake of bronze. He placed it on the pole. Whenever a snake bit someone and that person looked at that snake of bronze, he lived. Now, using this background, Jesus uttered these words about the fact that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He's drawing a parallel, and he's saying that just like that snake functioned in the wilderness for Israel, so me, as the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, will function as a salvation for those who look to me. Now, that this is what Jesus means is brought out clearer to us in John chapter 12, where Jesus states that the Son of Man must be lifted up. So here's his words in John chapter 12, beginning verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel spoke unto him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, John says, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So, taking these three passages of scriptures together, John 3, 14 through 18, Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9, and John 12, verses 27 through 32, we can have a clearer picture of what a core message of the gospel is. This can summarize, in many ways, the Christian faith. But John 3.16, standing alone, cannot. Then let me tell you why. Because John 3.16 primarily references the incarnation, the fact that God the Father sent the Word into the world, His Son, who assumed our flesh and who lived among us. Now, that act of God was motivated by a heart of love that the triune God has for humanity. And Jesus came into the world. He was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. He became man and so lived among us. We refer back to John chapter 1, where it talks about the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the same gospel. It's the same gospel writer who is writing these words. But we're not saved by the incarnation. The incarnation is necessary for something. We're not saved by Jesus' life. His life was perfect. He was sinless and holy. He never sinned, although he endured great assaults of temptation against his soul and mind and body. But Jesus never sinned. He remained the sinless man, the sinless man who is also God. This man would condemn us if all we had was his life because he has a perfect life that completely conforms to the holiness of God. We do not. 
If we only have the incarnation of Jesus and the example of Jesus living a holy life, we just stand more condemned. We're not only condemned by the law, but we're now condemned by the very word himself who manifests the law in all of its purity. And we can't measure up to that. We cannot measure. We cannot be saved by Jesus' example. So it's not the incarnation by itself, nor is holy life by itself that saves us. These are necessary steps in order for him to do that which he came into the world to do. Hebrews tells us that passage in Hebrews chapter 10. We're quoting from Psalm 40. Jesus says to the Father, A body have you prepared me. And he goes on to talk about that body being sacrificed to God. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what's absolutely necessary for the salvation of man. Let's look at John 3.16 and these other passages and see what must be included in our understanding of the core gospel message. Well, we must understand a great truth about God. And that is God is the creator. God is the one to whom we must answer. God is the great standard for his universe. God is. And secondly, God, though he has no necessity to have creation, still he made humanity. He made the world in which we live. And he has a heart of love for his creation. He has a heart of love for lost humanity. So the motive of God's sending his son into the world is a heart of love. But this is not indiscriminate love. It is very particular love. And so the passage is not saying that he loves the world just so, 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 so much. It's saying this is the manner or the way in which God loved the world. He loved the world to the extent that he sent his own son into the world. And his son came into the world on a mission to save people. But what kind of people? Were there people who are rebels? There are people who are sinners. There are people who have violated his laws and flouted his authority. There are people who are condemned, who are on the way to death. The moment we arrive in this world, we begin our process toward death. We're sinners who sin. So it talks about God, and it talks about God's motive to save people. It talks about sin and its effects. What are the effects of sin? Well, death, condemnation, judgment, perishing, perishing everlastingly, hell. That's the result of sin. That's the effects of sin. This is just like the story of the wilderness. Think back. The Hebrew children on their pilgrim journey, begin to complain against Moses, God's leader, and the one whom God has chosen to take them to the promised land. And they're not content with just complaining about him. They complain and, as we would say in our vernacular, bitch about God himself. They are just all over about what they are complaining about. And so this sin, this was sin, and it has an immediate effect. The sin causes death. And God sent a plague to the people. He sent poisonous snakes in the midst of the camp. 
and the poisonous snakes began to bite people, and thousands began to die. Sin brings its effect. Its effect is death, condemnation, and judgment. But now notice that the passage in John 3 tells us that we come into the world condemned. You see, you don't have to wait until you commit a conscious sin to be condemned. You come condemned. You come as a condemned sinner because we are descendants of Adam, because we are born with a sinful nature, because we have a sinful nature, we sin. We are born condemned. We are born already under the judgment of God, and we earn damnation by our own sins, which are multiplied all the time. And here's the big one. By our, un, by our natural state of unbelief, unbelief in God and unbelief in his Son. That's what the Scripture says. The Son, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. Why not? Because the world was already condemned. He came into the world that he might, that he might save those in the world through his Son. How does he do that? Well, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But if you don't believe in him, you remain condemned. You're already condemned and you remain condemned. Why? Because you've not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So the Son of Man descended. It means he came from outside of us. He came into the world from the Father in order to rescue us, in order to deliver us, to save us. So the incarnation is necessary. And so we do rightly celebrate the birthing of the Word into the world because without his incarnation, we could not be saved. But the incarnation must lead to its intended purpose, which was that he who is the righteous and holy Son of God would offer himself up on behalf of sinful people to death on the cross. Notice that Jesus said that the manner of his death is like that of being lifted up. That refers back to this passage, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is speaking about death on the cross, bearing the punishment, the damnation due to us sinners. And so Jesus speaks about that in John 12. But not only is the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, but he is lifted up from the grave and then lifted up into heaven, ascended as the resurrected Lord. You see, a Messiah who dies and perishes cannot save anyone. A dead Savior is not a Savior. He's just a victim to death. Our Lord did not remain dead. He rose on the third day. This vindicates that his death was the punishment due to our sin and that the Father has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. These are facts of history. These are the facts of Christ's life. But we must do something about it. What we must do about it is that we must believe it. We must believe the word. We must believe what God has done in Christ for us. We must put our trust in him. How did the Hebrews escape the punishment of the snakes? If the snake bit them, Moses said, you look to the bronze pole. Now why? Because the bronze pole had on top of it the very snake that was biting them. 
the one that was inflicting judgment and punishment upon them. That's why and how we look to Jesus. Jesus on the cross is bearing our punishment. He's bearing our damnation. He's bearing that which is due to us because of our sin and our behavior toward God and our attitude toward God. He bore it in his own body on the tree. He paid the punishment so that we might be released from the poisonous effects of this sin that has infected us, that we might be delivered. How do we look? We look by gazing upon him. Now, to gaze upon the bronze snake means you put your eyes on him and you fix it on him. Fix it on the snake. And those who looked lived. And when those of us who hear the message of Christ look in trust, in trust, We believe God's promised remedy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look to him, the very person of our Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Gaze on him in utter dependence for him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. All who believe in Jesus like this will have eternal life. Look and live. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.